Welcome to Dark Mode, the podcast that brings you sage technology advice from two technology experts. And that's not just what we call ourselves, it's what our moms tell people when Siri forgets to wish them a happy Mother's Day. Because we're good boys and we would never do that. I'm your host, Luke Miani. And I'm your host, Noah Rubin. On this show, we take questions from listeners, attempt to answer them to varying degrees of success, and maybe even have a laugh or two along the way. Ha <laughs> ha! Now, we're going to start uh, by diving headfirst into dangerous waters and potentially getting ourselves canceled because today I tweeted, was it today actually? Might have been yesterday. Recently, I tweeted about the Lucid Air because I was at the old shopping center where they happened to have a Lucid showroom. Mm-hmm. And so I dragged my girlfriend there kicking and screaming. Uh, she did not, she wanted to go, but I said, no, I must see the Lucid showroom. And I did in fact see it. Oh my God. Oh man. The, so no, I know you've seen a Lucid Air in person. Have you seen one like up close? No, I saw one when I was driving on the highway like a week or two ago. And I, mm. I noticed it immediately because it's a very distinctive look. Um, but I did not um, I did not see a close-up. So, Lucid... Uh, Lucid uh, have we talked about Lucid before on the podcast? I honestly don't remember, but I've been very fascinated with them. Do you remember I don't, if we mentioned them? We had that episode on EVs, and we might have mentioned them offhand, but I don't think we talked too much about them, though. So... What Lucid is doing is pretty bonkers. If you guys don't know, I'm sure most people here are probably somewhat familiar, but Lucid is run by the guy that did the Model S originally. And the difference is, before he was, you know, working as a component of Tesla, which meant that he wasn't doing, you know, whatever he wanted. But with Lucid, it's basically like, this is what the Model S guy would want if he had a do-over, if you think mm-hmm. about it, basically. Uh, now, it's a it's a bold move for any manufacturer to start out with a sedan. But because, you know, and no one's buying sedans anymore, except for me and you, kind of. With the, the, the Polestar 3 is kind of a sedan-ish, but both of us prefer sedans. A lot of enthusiasts prefer sedans. Um... Sedans are better. I'm just going to say it. That's a hot take, maybe. That is uh, that's that is a hot take. But so actually for those watching along, I think let's go ahead and I'll, I'll pull up a screen share if you haven't seen the Lucid. Um and this is an actual real car that you can buy. Well, that you can pre-order because they are shipping. I think they've shipped a, a little over 300, right? So this is very early stages, but this is the Lucid Air. This is what it looks like. And I, I will say, I don't necessarily think that it is a beautiful car. I think it looks cool. I think it looks distinctive, but I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say that it's a beautiful car. What do you think, Noah? What was your take? You saw one driving on the road in person, possibly even in this color. 
It might have been, I want to say it was a white one. I think it was a white one because mm. my first thought was that, especially from the front, it looks like RoboCop. And I think the fact that it was a white one definitely helped uh, with that that mm. comparison. I think the front is the most successful angle. They've certainly outdone Tesla, in my opinion, in being clean. I think the Tesla has a more attractive shape, the body lines, the haunches at the back. But I will say the Model S, it's it's old. I'm kind of, the design is a little bit stale. That's my take. I don't know. Uh, some people don't like the lucid air. Someone said not great looking. Others say it's as if a Bentley or a BMW had a baby. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Cole Weathers thinks that it looks like your grandparents' couch, which is definitely hmm. not a good thing. Someone also said it looks like a Pontiac. Also not a good thing. But, honestly, competition and um, just innovation in the EV space is something that we could all appreciate. Now, my take on the exterior is I think a Model S looks better. I think, the, I think there are better looking EVs out there. But, I still think this is cool. I, I like the look of it, uh, even if it's a little funky. But the inside... Bro, the inside is where the party happens because let me see if I can find like a good gallery here to show you guys what we're talking about. Because um, I don't know if you got to see one in person, Noah, but the interior, the materials, the look are just insane. Just absolutely insane. Let me find a. Where is the no picture? Do, do, do. Well, <laughs> I'm trying my hardest. Oh, yeah, wait, wait. I definitely um, saw the picture that you put, that you posted on, uh, on Twitter. And on I did, Twitter, I yeah. did like that look, the interior. All right, we're getting there. Here it is. Okay. So this little animation here, this is the inside of the Lucid Air. Now, Someone likened it to looking sort of similar to a Porsche Panamera or a Taycan. I see that a little bit in the center screen that's vertical. Uh, I wonder if we can get a, a, a better shot here of the dashboard. But I think that this is such a refreshing, different take on an EV interior because it has a lot of what makes the Tesla great. Huge roominess, the windscreen that goes all the way up over your head. Although that the Model S doesn't have that, I think. That's an X feature that they've got here. Um, they've got the flat floor, tons of interior cabin space. But the quality, the material choices, the options are just way, way more. Oh, wow. Look at this. They've even got this like fancy reclining rear thing. Well, that, that's not available yet. So we have to remember that the, the air is in very early stages, but if we can go down, I really can't find, yeah, all right, here we go. Here's the center screen. Okay, so we got like this wraparound cockpit and you've got a gauge cluster and then there's a top screen and a lower screen. I will say the top screen 
that's to the right of the steering wheel is a little bit on the small side and it's a little bit of a weird shape. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the actual screen functionality, go watch some reviews, see what you think. I think it's a little lacking right now, especially since it doesn't, they've kind of gone the Tesla route of like, we can do all of this stuff. So there's no, there's no CarPlay, there's no Android Auto, nothing like that. Um, but they haven't gone completely the Tesla way where everything is on the screen. You still have some steering wheel controls. There's a volume knob in the middle. You've got hard buttons for park, neutral, reverse, drive. Those, I think, are things that I would want to have a physical button of. And then other stuff you can do in the screens. Yeah, I I like the overall look, the, that, that screen... Um... I guess it's the touch screen that's sort of slanted uh, down there. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of your car uh, as well, which obviously isn't an EV, but I know you have True. a screen like that down there. Yeah, uh, I drive an A6, and that is a. It does have that. It's a. It's more limited because that screen is just climate control. The Lucid mm. one does a lot more. Um, and I'm trying to find if there's a picture of it. I don't think they show it, but that slanted screen down there. You might be able to see, no, at the very bottom in the min in the middle, there's a little button. Because if you push that, that whole screen lifts up and sucks into the dashboard. Real, so it goes away completely. Uh-huh, if you want it to. And then there's like a storage and like stuff underneath it. And then you can huh. bring it back. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I mean, I don't know... How often, I don't know exactly what that screen does and how often you'd want to do that. But, I mean, hey, if you can get a little extra space when you need it, that's uh, pretty nice. Yeah, it's like a little storage cubby. Um, so, I guess what I want to know, uh, if we can get a poll up here. Mm -hmm. um, I want to just talk about interior design. Because that's what my tweet was. And there were some very mixed responses. People saying... Uh, well, you know, Tesla fanboys, of course, Tesla can do no wrong. And you could show them a Bentley Continental, which has an objectively higher quality interior. And they'll say, oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's awful. Or, Tesla's the only way to do it. Um, but I am curious to see with a more uh, neutral audience here, hopefully, let's let's get some opinions on the interior design. Let me, I, I, you know what? Here we, here we go. Let me, let me also Google images some more so that you guys can see a few more options. I, I think everyone's generally familiar with the inside of a Tesla. God, these are all the smallest pictures known to man. Try to <laughs> blow that up a little bit. So I'll scroll through here a little bit, and we can then get some opinions in the chat here. Let's pull up a poll. Let me know when that's ready, Noah. Uh, what do we want to... We got to get some options going for the poll. So, Oh, yeah. So let's have the question be simple. Which interior design, not function, not car, not exterior, just interior design, do you prefer? The Lucid Air or the Model S? And as I'm going through these pictures, you're probably starting to see some of the many different color options. They've got different finishes in wood and, and leather and um, lots of woven textures. There's a huge range of materials, which I like a lot. So that those are those are some options. 
And then once we get the poll going, get some answers on it, I can tell you guys a little bit about the main reason, not just aesthetically, that the Lucid is freaking crazy. Yep, we got the poll. Uh, the poll is live now if you want to put the link up. Indeed, I will. All right, so you're going to head over to app.darkmodepodcast.com. And that will allow you to vote in the poll, unless, of course, you're listening to this after the fact, in which case, uh, so, sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to vote for the Lucid Air. I don't want to influence anyone's decisions, but I personally dramatically prefer the Lucid to the Model S. Noah, what do you think? I strongly agree with you. Strongly agree. And... um I, I do have some some takes uh, on Tesla, which I can uh, which I can share. But I will say for now, at least, that I do prefer uh, the the Lucid Air's look overall. So we got renders by Ian here. We got Ian Zelbo, who says that it looks like a Taycan copy. I have to disagree. I think the Taycan is also nice. I think the Lucid Air looks more futuristic and i think the materials are more varied like the tie can has a lot of like you can get two-tone tie cans where it's like maybe even up to four tones but the the lucid has like different wood different dash you can have like fabric wood alcantara and leather all on the same dashboard it's like minimal but also complex Mm -hmm. i think it's masterful um so Another, a, a couple of people are wondering about pricing, and I've saved that until after we have this vote already going because that's the thing that blows my mind about Lucid is, and, and keep in mind, this is not hypothetical. They are actually shipping cars. Now, as, as did Tesla, they're starting on the highest end. So right now, the only Lucids that are actually shipping are the Grand Touring, which I actually think they had, it was one even above that. It was like the Grand Touring Super Maximum thing, which was basically like uh, a first edition package. And so that one carried a huge price premium, uh, basically just, you know, to like, for, for, for initial investors, people that wanted to get to the top of the line, it's like a special version. Mm-hmm. But the actual three main versions of the Lucid, are the Air Pure, Air Touring, and Air Grand Touring. Now, they did increase the prices by about $15,000 just earlier this week. But, even so, the Air Pure costs around, I think it's $87,000. The Air Touring is like $106,000. And the Grand Touring is like $145,000 or $150,000. So, it does actually uh, match and beat the Model S in terms of pricing, which is quite something because then you're wondering, okay, but that's that's all well and great, but Tesla, Tesla has a good thing going. Why would people choose the unproven one? And that, my friends, is because of the range. Lucid has some insane battery tech. The Grand Touring and the Grand Touring performance whatever the 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 crazy high-end one they have the same battery pack and motors 
the range is 516 miles. And that was, people tested it. They got over 500 miles of range. That's... Bro. That's a lot. That's really impressive. Yeah. And that's real world. Like, they road tripped it. Even even without being careful, people were getting 480, which is crazy, dude. Yeah. That's, oh. that's like way more, because, you know, obviously my car now, uh, you know, the, the Polestar 2 um, range is all right, I guess. But even thinking back to like the ice cars that I had before that, you know, the range wasn't that good. Definitely not. Yeah, I mean, currently my car has a lot of range. <laughs> yeah, yours um, does. My car, because I, I have a gas car, so it's not the same thing, right? But it's it's got like a 19-gallon tank, and on the highway, because I drive very efficiently, I get like 38 miles to the gallon, so I can go like 700 miles on a tank, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but like around town driving is probably around 500. And so the idea that you could do that in an EV... Like, you, I would only have to be charging, like, every other week. That's that's nuts. That's nuts. Yeah, that's, that is really nice. Uh, that would definitely do away with, uh, you know, whatever range anxiety concerns uh, some EV owners may have. That, that, yeah. that, that, that's a lot. And so here's a comment that's saying, uh, whoop, not that one. Here's a comment saying 130 grand is a mind-blowing price. And yeah, that's that's a lot of money, but you have to t- you have to consider that, that that you're sort of competing with the Plaid at that point. Um and the Model S Plaid is faster by a little bit, not by much realistically. Like it, the the Lucid Grand Touring is like 2.2.6 or something seconds, 0 to 60. So it's very fast nonetheless. Um but it's it's got more range, 500 miles of range. The Plaid is only like 350. It's crazy, dude. They're beating Tesla. Tesla's been doing this for 10 years. And right out the gate, boom, they're beating it. Yeah, that's very impressive. And it looks like it looks like uh looks like people pre- preferred the interior design of the Lucid Air, which is very interesting. So I rest my case. There you go. Everyone agrees pretty much yeah it was uh so far i mean it's technically the poll's not over yet but majority votes are probably in we're at uh 24 votes for lucid and 17 uh for the model s so the lucid air definitely did win that poll now we will bring this back to apple don't worry um but i did want to address one thing that i think is really interesting and we were talking about this just the other day noah why would you need 500 miles of range versus 400? A great question. And I think that I told you this, my theory, Noah, that on whatever EV you're talking about, whether it's a Tesla, whether it's a Rivian, which you saw in person the other day, uh, whether it's a Lucid, whether it's an Apple car, if and when that ever exists, I find it hard to believe that it will, to be honest. Yeah. But whatever EV you have, Honestly, I think that's a pretty pretty fair point. And I think the way that EV range has been covered is like if you go on a 500-mile road trip and you only have 200 miles of range, 
you're going to have to do two charging breaks along the way. That sucks. I, I don't know about you, Noah, but I don't think I've ever driven 500 miles in one go. Yeah, no, I don't think so. And um, I'll actually give you a so little anecdote that I guess uh, is kind of related. So, As I, our resident EV owner. Yes, of course. Um, so, and I'm sure a lot of people watching uh, know because we've discussed it before, but uh, but I also have a Polestar too, and I'm uh, I'm here in the Bay Area, which has I'd say pretty good uh, charging infrastructure um, overall. I haven't I don't know what the supercharger situation looks like. I'm sure it's fantastic, um, but even oh, yeah. you know for I use Electrify America um, to mm-hmm. do my charging, and uh, there's you know pretty solid um, you know options available around here. So yesterday I went to Monterey. Uh, with a couple of my friends and um, it was about a 90 something mile drive let's say maybe 100 miles each way and then we did some driving while we were down in there as well Um, so obviously that's going to use up all of my range because my range is well okay I think it's like 240 maximum but you're never going to be at 100% battery or at least I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be 100% battery so it's a little bit less. so realistically 200 realistically in that like 80-20 80-20 range. Right. And I think I had it around, I think it was around 80% uh, or 70-something when I started the day. Um, but, you know, just, just to, uh, to, to give a brief idea, you know, we drove down to to Monterey. We did some stuff. And then we drove to, um, there was like one Electrify America um, charging, obviously multiple stations, but there was one location that had the stations. And, you know, we, we put the car there. I plugged it in, and then we went to a Korean fried chicken place that was down the street from there. We walked Ooh. over there. It was very, very good. And, uh, you know, the car had had 40 minutes on the charger. I had 30 minutes of free charging, and then I was able to just leave it. Um, I was able to cancel the charging from my phone and just leave it in the spot, and there was no idle fee either, so I could just leave it there um, for what I needed. So we parked the car. We, you know, had our early dinner, I guess. And then we went back to the car and we can continued on. So honestly, you know, in that case, if I had a, a lucid air, I wouldn't have had to stop and charge. But at the same time, we were we made good use of that time. And um, and I was perfectly happy, um, you know, to have stopped and charged and gotten some food. So I don't know. That's a great point. I mean, I think essentially what it comes down to is as fast charging and charging stations in general become more and more available then the range doesn't become an issue like nobody nobody thinks about the range in their gas car mm-hmm. nope nobody has ever considered that like it's just not a factor so i think eventually evs will progress to the point where you're not going to be shopping based on range you're going to be shopping based on efficiency because that means you will need less electricity to run it um just like miles per gallon i think eventually we're going to get to uh miles per kilowatt hour mm-hmm. um and that is going to eventually be a pretty significant factor um but in the here and now the person who was talking about why would you ever need 500 versus 400 i think people that cover EVs talk about it in the form of a road trip and realistically if I'm going 500 miles and I have to stop halfway to charge 
that's probably fine because I don't know if I could sit in a car for 500 miles worth of time without getting out and wanting to go and like take a break. So that's not a factor for me. I don't really care about that. The thing that I think matters more is being able to go somewhere that doesn't have charging and then go back. Mm-hmm. That, in my mind, is a lot more important it's, it's for peace of mind. If I, I live in Washington, D.C., and our charging network, frankly, is not that great. There's not a lot of space in the city. There's only two superchargers in a city of 700,000 people. So there's not so much benefit to owning a Tesla here, realistically. Um, but let's say I wanted to go drive out to like a cool national park 150 miles away. Mm-hmm. If I If I go 150 miles out in my electric car and i go to a national park i feel like the the chances of destination uh charging are going to be lower so there's a decent chance if i'm driving 150 miles to a national park that i'm not going to be able to charge it when i get there which means i either have to stop along the way which i wouldn't necessarily do in a 150 mile journey or if you have enough range I could do the whole thing without charging. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is where range is more important. Do you guys agree? I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, personally, I definitely agree. And I think, um, you know, around here where there's good um, or, I guess, better uh, charging infrastructure, it's not something that I've had to worry about yet. I'm sure eventually there will be some place um where or i don't even know because even if there's no destination charging there's got to be some charging along the way and so i it was much easier for me to go with an ev than it would be for you just because of you know the better infrastructure and i'll just say Mm -hmm. you know in my my uh my normal uh use like obviously you know yesterday i drove i don't know 200 something miles because we did that day trip that's an anomaly on the average day i drive zero miles because i bike to work and i don't have to drive anywhere or sometimes you know i'll go drive over uh you know five miles to 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 my friend's apartment and then five miles back and that'll be it so for the vast majority of my driving or the vast majority of my days i do little to no driving um and so most of the time i'm not worried about about the range at all if i'm just doing you know little goes you know supermarket you know local things and i'll charge once a week or, or you know once every other week and when i need the longer days you know, there's usually a, a charging station uh, that I can go to on the way or whatever. Not not a problem for me. Yeah. So that's why I think 300 miles is a good benchmark. But if you're in a situation like Noah's where realistically you're doing most of what you can do with within your 200-mile range, like when you do charge it up, you probably don't charge. How How many times a week do you charge your car? Uh, on average, like once a week. But if I'm like, you know, if, it, if it's a normal week where I'm not doing too much, maybe we'll say once a week or maybe even less than that. Uh, mm-hmm. When there's a specific thing, there's the first <gasps> wall panel. One, one, one down. Yes. When uh, when there's a specific, uh, you know, like a, like a longer journey, um, then I'll do some charging related to that. Um, but so far it hasn't been an issue at all 
And one last thing before we move on to talk about WWDC. Mm-hmm. I did want to mention that a lot of people are stuck on the price tag of the Lucid Air. Uh, that's just the current stuff because they're they're going top down like Tesla did. The base model, the Lucid Air Pure, starts at like eighty five or eighty seven thousand dollars after their price hike. Obviously, this one this model isn't actually out yet, but you're talking sub ninety grand, which is a lot less than Tesla right now because Tesla's pricing is sky high like you can, i don't even think you can get a model s under a hundred so the fact that 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 lucid is is gunning towards sub 90k and their stated range which i would expect to be extremely accurate because it was on their other models is 406 miles 406 miles the best you can do on the Model S is 405, right? So they're matching that. But that's with the hideous base wheels. And the Model S is $99,990. So, yeah, it's going to. If they can match the range for over 10 grand cheaper, dude, that's, that's pretty crazy. That is, and I think uh, you can get a better uh, rebate through Lucid than Tesla, right? Better, uh, like that's rebate. true. Yeah, because Tesla, Tesla, uh, basically with the the with EVs, you can get seventy five hundred dollars from the government, but that runs out after I think two hundred thousand cars. So if you buy a Tesla, you don't get any rebate, mm-hmm. which comes in the form of a tax credit, or if you do a lease, it's a cap cost reduction. Um, so you got one, Noah. Mm-hmm, I did. But if you had bought a Model 3, you wouldn't. That's so, true. yeah. So I guess if you're talking about $87,000, then it's really $80,000. And you're getting 400 miles of range without hideous wheels. And you can have a paint color that isn't white. Yeah. And someone asked if the interior is different. I don't think that it is, but let me see if I can. Can I? I want to see if I can build this. I. I'm sorry. I promise we'll talk. I promise we will talk about um, WWDC in just a moment. But I do want to go to the design thing. Yeah, I'm also see. curious. So you, the the so the air pure. Let's see what the base model looks like. There is another wall panel, by the way. Oh, there we go. Oh my two. god. Two in one? That was a two that was a two. Whoa. I, mean, I think these two these two, I think they both fell at the same time last week. Like both two for one. They did. They did. This is interesting. This is interesting. And by the way, here's all the residue. I don't know how well you can see it, but all of these like grey like things, those are the, the residue from the tape. Oh yeah, well there you have it. Very interesting. Hmm. Curious. So let's see here. What do we? All right. This is the base model Lucid Air. Looks very similar. Here's the interior. Can we go to the interior? Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that looks pretty much the same. Looks great. Yeah. It's you don't get a smaller screen or like you don't have to get rid of any of those those nice materials. Four hundred and eighty horsepower. 
is pretty powerful. And they're saying that they're going to be launching the this base model by the end of this year. So that's that's an aggressive time ta timetable. They do have optional... Uh, okay, so this one comes with a metal roof and no sunroof. Hmm. That's... I would definitely probably want that sunroof. I don't think they have all the prices, but this is pretty much a base spec. And yeah, I mean, dude, that's so so included for the base price, which it says here 77,400, that's going to be 87, I think, or maybe even 89. Uh, but you get 480 horsepower real-world drive. I'm assuming you'll pay a little bit for some of the colors here, like this silver or a gray or that like wine red. I'm assuming you'll pay extra for uh, the panoramic roof, so you don't get that. The wheels, you can get 20-inch aero rims if you want them. You get the interior. I'm assuming there will be other options available at some point. You get navigation. You get Electrify America charging. Nice. You get their driver. You get their advanced driver assistance system, which they're working on, obviously, as they get more data. And then, uh, apparently, their sound system is very good, and you can upgrade that if you wanted to. That dude. This is a lot of car. I yeah. I really hope that they hit these targets and they start shipping those things because that looks very promising. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Whoa, wait a minute. Noah, look behind you. Yeah, a I fourth noticed. wall panel. This one fell down. There's a there's an outlet uh right here and it's like it's in like the outlet, like the plate kind of came mm. away from the wall a little bit and it's sandwiched oh. in there. So that's why it didn't fall all the way down. But we'll we'll take that one down. So if anyone's money was on on four, they're gonna be very nervous right now, because there's a lot of show left, and there's two wall panels left. Now we got to be honest with you guys. The reason that we started by, you know, taking half this show talking about EVs is one, because they're cool, and two, because, dude, there's nothing. There's no news. There's no Apple news. Yeah. Yep. People are like, we want to hear the Apple news. There isn't any. Yeah, not uh, not too much going on these days. And maybe even for the next, like, month or so. Uh, my goodness me. Yeah, so we are, though, less than a month away from WWDC. I think that's worth noting. Because I'm hoping, I'm hoping this year that we'll get some stuff. I made a video on the 6th where I was like, all right, people were asking me, what do you think is going to happen? I was like, okay, I'll make a video. We'll talk about everything. And my God, dude, there's nothing. Um, in, terms of, in terms of leaks, let me give you a f very fast rundown, Noah, of what we've heard. Watch OS, nothing iOS 16, apparently notifications are going to get reworked again. Mm -hmm. Apparently focus modes might get reworked a little bit. And then apparently there's going to be widgets uh, that are bigger. Mm -hmm. iPad OS, um, 
we'll come back to that. macOS, nothing. So, watchOS and macOS, just, just kind of really haven't heard anything. Um, so, that's fun. And <sighs> iPadOS, this one I think was the most interesting. This isn't necessarily iPadOS 16, but I don't know if you saw this, Noah. Literally the only piece of Apple news that's happened in the last week or so. Apparently, Apple filed a patent for a keyboard accessory that triggers like a macOS style UI when an iPad Pro connects to it. I did not hear about that. We don't know any further details than that, but think a magic keyboard. You plop your iPad in it. It knows that it's now connected with a mouse and trackpad, with a keyboard and trackpad, sorry. And we get some more macOS looking UI. And I read that and I thought, hmm, say more right now. That's interesting, but I'm also kind of uh, uh, confused mm. that Apple has a patent on that because like Windows does that when you have those two in ones and yeah. some Android phones or like, okay, Chrome OS does that. And uh, mm. some Android phones, like the Samsung Dex or whatever, like this is not uh, some like new tech. Like obviously, very cool if iPads get it, but it's not like some new technology that Apple would, you know, have a patent on. So that's interesting. I think their patent was more on the device that you connect it to triggering that mode. Hmm. So it's not a two-in-one; it's like an accessory, I guess. Hmm. Um, which, first of all, how Apple would that be? Like, hey, $1,000, your iPad Pro, but you got to spend another 300 if you want to unlock the Pro mode. <laughs> Ooh, yep. look at us. We're so sneaky. Yep. That, that is something that Apple would do. That Tim. Tim, come on, man. <laughs> oh, God, for the... Uh, please, please let that be backwards compatible. All right? If that's like one of those things where it's like... No, you got to buy the new keyboard because the new keyboard has one chip that's different and it, it's super fancy and it's going to be a very over-engineered way to detect that something's plugged into it. And it's like, it's going to be like this one tiny, tiny little feature that they're going to put in this new accessory and then say, oh, ah, ah beans, uh, it, this is impossible with the old one that you spent $300 on. Ah, uh, uh, shucks, that, that's so terrible, but I guess you got to give us more money. Ah, um, uh, no. I really hope that they would, because, like, they already have, you know, if you have the Magic Keyboard, like the current one that has the trackpad built in, which you, which I know you have, you know, mm -hmm. you put the Love iPad it. on there, and it just, the keyboard and trackpad connect to it, and it knows that, that the, the keyboards, it knows that the Magic Keyboard is there, and it just works, and... There is no reason why that shouldn't work with a supposed new software mode. And, you know, honestly, yeah. I think that it would. I really do think that if Apple releases this as a software update, that it would work with the old Magic Keyboard. And even if you had your own keyboard and trackpad that you brought, I really do think that Apple would make it work. I really hope that they would make it work. And I think it would be a great yeah. thing for, for iPadOS because it desperately needs it. 
And I'm sure that this new keyboard accessory, if it is in fact a new keyboard accessory, would have some additional feature. And then I'd be like, ah, oh, well, I guess I gotta buy it now. And so they'd probably still be able to sucker me into it. But at the very least, I would like them not to force me into it. That'd be appreciated. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's really what, what iPadOS needs. And for the record, I don't think this would refer to dual booting. Like, I, I really, really do not believe that there's going to just be full-up Mac OS on an iPad. I think it would be more like, here's how I could imagine this. Let's say the iPad knows when it's connected to a verified Apple accessory. I would imagine them limiting it to that, right? It has to be licensed, right? Um, so it knows when the smart connector is being used, not just a Bluetooth one like some of the cheaper ones are. And, and it can say, oh, a keyboard and trackpad are now connected to me. So what I'm now going to do is let you have windows that can move around on the screen and can layer on top of each other. And just like on Mac OS, maybe it can push off your home screen like, like push that off to the side and leave you with a blank desktop like you would get on Mac OS. So fundamentally, it's still iPad OS underneath. Uh, and it wouldn't be like uh, rebooting into Mac OS uh, Weed, the new version of Mac OS, of course. Of course. Uh, it would just be like, you know, it would just move it over and then let you use Windows. Something simple like that, I think, would would really make a big difference. Yeah, I definitely, there's no way that we're getting macOS uh, dual booting for so many reasons, but yeah. I guess one of which being, um, you know, if you boot into macOS and then disconnect the keyboard and uh, and trackpad, then what happens? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that'd not be good. Yeah, yeah that, yeah, that's not gonna happen. There's no way that it's gonna happen. And like, even if you could, because like, you know, you could use Sidecar with your iPad, and you can use the Apple Pencil as a trackpad, and and you know, software like whatever. It would be technically possible for Apple to make macOS work on an iPad with no accessories connected, but it wouldn't be a good experience, and it, Apple would never do that. But definitely, you know, iPad OS. Uh, adapting slightly, you know, enabling Windows to happen. And it could totally happen because Apple uh, uh, interfaces, like the way that they've designed the like core components of the software is so, um, so good for this. Because like, you know, when you have iPad, you know, on the iPad, you can put uh, Windows in split screen and you can have them yeah. be very thin, like an iPhone, half screen, three quarters of the screen or full screen and there's so many different screen sizes between ipads and iphones and the way that the software is built it's built to handle or you know the way obviously you know some software will break but like if you design your software well which the vast majority of apps are then they will work on you know all of these different uh screen sizes and you know if you make it you can make it thinner or um or wider and then if you make it you know shorter then mm. it's just like having a shorter screen and you just scroll a little bit more and that's totally fine too so there's no there's no reason why apple can't do this all exactly. apple has to do is this it's simple exactly you just gotta and then, pinch it and then you're good to go but they've designed the core systems very well uh, to enable them to do it and now they just have to take advantage of their good decision and please just do it <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and honestly, 
I do want to caution you guys, you know, that, that was a patent that we just heard about. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't consider that an iPadOS 16 leak. I just consider that iPadOS news. We don't really have any information saying like when that would happen. Oh, wall panel five. And once again, Noah, the one behind your head is the only one left. That's right. That wall panel is stronger. Something, something special about it. Or it's it, it's the location because the wall panel changes. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's something mm. to do with the location. What could it possibly be? Is there treasure buried behind there? Have you considered that? Well, if it falls down, then you'll uh, you'll find out. Yeah. So let's see here, folks. Put your bets. We've got like 17 minutes left. Is it going? Is are we gonna go six for six? What's the, what are we thinking? But now, as, as we're getting some responses in there, I did want to talk about the big daddy, the Mac Pro. Because mm-hmm. this, I think, is what a lot of people, even if you're not going to buy a Mac Pro, like, uh, like probably most people <laughs> are not going to buy a Mac Pro. But a lot of people are really, really curious to see what happens. Not because you want to buy one, but because... It's just fascinating. It's like it's like uh, supercars, right? Most people are not going to buy supercars, but loads of people want to see what the new supercars are going to be. And that's the case here. This is Apple's Halo product. And right now, I've seen some people with concerns. They're saying, Luke, we are not really hearing enough about the Mac Pro for this to be coming out. Like, we hear about iPhones years in advance. There's already leaks being like, okay, in 2024, Apple's going to use this display technology. It's like, okay, we're not even on the iPhone 14, and we're hearing about the 17 or whatever. Like, it's crazy. But the thing that you have to realize about the Mac Pro is, first of all, it's a low-volume product, which means there's not... 800 quintillion prototypes floating around like there are for iPhones because obviously Apple Apple sells like 50 million of those in the first weekend and they've never sold 50 million Mac Pros total over its entire existence so it's a lot easier to keep that a secret so that's the first factor the second factor is someone actually pointed this out in the chat a while back here if I can find this, which was essentially what they said was the reason that you don't hear leaks about software is because it's it's a lot easier to keep that secret. There's no iOS 16 factory, right, Noah? At least not that I know of. Right. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to keep it a secret. It's a lot easier to keep it more internal, right? Because as you know. Um, and as you've explained, you know, the leaks are coming not from Apple, but from the factories and from, uh, like contractors more, uh, with the software, there's a lot less of that. So that's why it's very rare to hear OS leaks. Like Mm -hmm. it's so, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's great. Cause whenever dub dub comes around, we're always like, Whoa, that's cool. So that'll be fun. But Mm -hmm where this applies to the Mac Pro is 
if you go back in time, 2019, 2017, 2013, all three of Apple's highest-end Pro machines over the past 10 years were announced at WWDC, but didn't come out and get, you know, ordered or delivered until December. Mm-hmm. And that is key because none of those products had substantial concrete leaks. We heard about the existence of the Trash Can Mac Pro. They were like, there's a new Mac Pro coming and it's super different. We heard about, oh, there might be a higher end iMac. And then we heard, oh, Apple's finally revamping the Mac Pro. But none of those products had leaks like we've seen on Oh, all six are down. And it didn't hit me in the back of my head this time. Good. We're already improving. Yeah. (laughs) But all of those products that came out, all three of those, didn't have huge leaks because they didn't come out until the end of the year. So at WWDC, it was just a preview. And that, I think, is very telling. Yeah, I definitely, we're definitely, I I personally, and this is just based off of precedent, and uh, I guess just what I think, but I do think that we'll hear uh, about the Mac Pro and we'll get a preview. But yeah, definitely we're not going to see it, uh, you know, start getting delivered and actually launched until probably December at the earliest. And so, you know, wherever it is in the development stage, it might not be exactly at the stage uh, where the rumors, where the uh, the leaks would really start to come out. And you know what? Maybe that's kind of smart uh, for Apple. They're getting ahead of the leaks and uh, announcing it uh, before it really gets to that stage. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe they're announcing it before it gets to I that hope. stage uh, where it really, uh, you know, would get leaked. And they're just getting ahead of that, which is which is good for them, I guess. And, okay, I got to, no, I got to tell you about my conspiracy theory. Okay. (sighs) Okay, so I've been thinking about this for a while. And I think I mentioned this sort of offhand. But, I, look, three years ago, Apple came out with the Mac Pro and they said, we messed up, we made the wrong product in 2013. They they literally said in 2017, before the iMac Pro came out, before the new Mac Pro came out, they said, hey, oops, the, tr- the trash can Mac Pro is not good. We designed ourselves into a corner. It doesn't have room to upgrade, and we're going to fix it. They that That's crazy. I made a video about that a couple weeks ago, if you want to go check that out, where I analyzed what happened at that meeting. But basically... That was an unprecedented level of Apple saying, yeah, we we really screwed the pooch on this one here, folks, and we're going to do better. So just three years ago, the Mac Pro was fixed, right? They said, okay, you want to upgrade? You can upgrade everything. CPU, GPU, RAM, expansion, afterburner cards, uh, storage, uh, the the internal built-in SSDs were originally not upgradable, and then they said, okay, fine, upgrade those too. 
And then you can also add PCI cards. It had an internal SATA port. You could buy drive bays and there's a billion things that you can customize on that. And everyone was like, oh yeah, heck yeah, this is awesome. And then now the Mac Studio has come out and is faster than like a twenty or $30,000 Mac Pro. So, uh-oh, that's a very short... <laughs> <laughs> That's a very short lifespan for yeah. those that spent twenty grand on a Mac Pro. Uh, probably should have just bought Bitcoin instead uh, <laughs> in 2019. But anyway, does it not seem weird to you, Noah, that they would do that, spend a ton of money and, and say, all right, we're going to do it right. This is what a Mac Pro is. It needs to be upgradable. It needs to do this. This is the mac pro and then just three years later say uh yeah so never mind again we're, we're just gonna do two mac studios glued together really that would be because you have to you have to think that like you know at the time that so what was this 2017 right is mm -hmm. when they launched this new mac pro that was super upgradable and obviously mm -hmm. that was I don't know, three years, right? Three years removed from when Apple Silicon was announced to the general public. But yeah. you know that, you know, Apple had been working on it for years. And even before Apple Silicon, there was, you know, they had the iPhone and the iPad chips. So they knew what it was going to look like in a Mac. And I'm sure they had plans mm -hmm. at that point to put it in a Mac, you know, regardless of how far they had developed into it. So when they announced that, they definitely at least had a good idea if not further in the process they had a good idea of what the max of the next couple of years were going to look like and yeah so for that reason i agree with you that it would be weird and so i'm wondering if we're gonna see and i think we might have discussed this a little bit um you know that the, that the maybe there will be some more integration you know if the chip is going to have the unified memory and the cpu cores and the gpu cores maybe that has to be a single package or maybe not but if it is a single package maybe that package will be on a board that you could swap out of this new mac pro so there would be some amount yeah. of upgradability even if you have to compromise at that point yeah that's that's the thing that intrigues me a lot is how they're going to handle that modularity because i realistically think if they were to do Mac Studio times two, that's not a Mac Pro. First of all, it doesn't go high enough. You're talking a Mac Pro is a fifty thousand dollar computer on the very high end. Right. And if you were to take two M1 Ultras the way that they did it with M1 Maxes, you would top out with uh, forty CPU cores and one hundred and twenty eight GPU cores. Uh, and then a hundred and or two hundred and fifty six gigs of RAM, I believe. Hmm. And obviously that would be crazy powerful, but you really, really start running into limits of scaling. the The M one is already by the time you get up to the M one Ultra, you are pushing the limits of scaling. Uh, one of the main reasons is because there's this. 32 megabyte buffer cache. I don't know if it's a cache exactly, but there's this 32 megabyte uh, buffer that's built into all the M1 products. And when you use the GPU, 
it has to store tasks in that cache. And if it fills up, the GPU has to wait. So if you go from the 48 to the 64 core GPU Mac Studio, you don't see a ton of difference unless your programs are specifically designed around that. And so if you double that, if you double the CPU, double the CPU, double the CPU, double the GPU, double the RAM, you're not going to be able to get around that because that cache doesn't change whether you're on an M1 or an M1 Pro or an M1 Max or an M1 Ultra. So I think sandwiching two M1 Ultras to make an M1 Extreme is not the way they would do this. So that comes down to, like what you said, are they expansion cards? Do you plug in like an MPX module, say, that has an M1 Ultra on it and you can add them together? But then that also means adding additional SSD controllers and adding additional, like the RAM would then be on separate packages. It's a little clunky, I think. So what I'm wondering is, is it an M1 chip at all? Yeah, that's a good question and i don't want to derail the conversation too much but i remember we yeah. had discussed that 32 megabyte buffer and if i remember correctly that had something to do with the with the tlb is that right i think you remember the tweets maybe a little yes bit and do you that's yeah and do you i don't know if you remember the explanation but um but i actually think it's it's kind of interesting and maybe someone in the chat knows this better than me but if i'm remembering from my class correctly uh, so the TLB is the translation uh, look-aside buffer, something like that. And it stores, mm -hmm. it maps um, virtual memory addresses to physical memory addresses. And so I think that means that the more memory that can be addressed, uh, or, or I guess really the more memory that you would be addressing at a single time, the more important the TLB is. Because whenever you want to access yes. some region of memory... Uh, you know, you'll have the software of a virtual address. It will need to translate it into the physical address, you know, on the chip so that it can go and get that memory. And so if we're talking about, uh, you know, Mac Pro levels, you know, 256, uh, you know, really, I guess would be if you took two M1 Ultras and put them together. But that doesn't seem like enough for some tasks. I would expect there to be even more memory. And then mm -hmm. I, I think if, I, if I'm remembering and understanding correctly that that would... Uh, be even more of an issue if you're if you're using all of that memory at once then the tlb is going to be a lot more active and um and, and then you'll end up with this problem called thrashing where uh all of the um if you if you're trying to access so much different memory at once uh the tlb is spending all of its time looking for all of the new data instead of actually having the data and so then you get like super slow down because it's just constantly doing all of these lookups and whatever. So not to derail too much, but no, that's if that very is helpful. an issue, if that is an issue and if I'm understanding it correctly, which I think I am, then mm -hmm. even more memory would be even more of a problem uh, for the this this current architecture. And so that also raises yes. an interesting question. That yeah, that thank you for filling in those details. That's what I was missing on 
the explanation side because I didn't remember from those tweets. But yeah, so essentially the more you add, the more noticeable that becomes. If you have an M1 or an M1 Max or even the the 48-core M1 Ultra, you're only going to just start to see that. But once you get up to the M1 Ultra, once you get to the 64-core, it is an issue. It's one that can be fixed in software because you can work around it. I can't remember the specifics on how certain applications are able to do that. But even like Final Cut Pro has that issue. Like I tested the 48 and the 64 core, render export times were identical. So clearly there's a a bottleneck going on there. And I think Max Tech found that there's a lot of GPU hang time where it's just sitting around waiting. And so throwing twice as many of everything isn't gonna fix that problem because you're still stuck with this fundamental limitation. So I, I'm i wondering, um, and that's not even to mention that at the last event, they specifically said, we have one more chip in the M1 family. So that means there's no M1 extreme, right? We're done. It's it's M1 Pro Max Ultra. That's the, that's the lineup. There's four different tiers, right? Mm-hmm. So that leaves you with two options. There's the card option, two uh, M1 Ultra Duo, which I think would be really limited in terms of like scaling the TLB issue, uh, cost effectiveness because of how expensive it would be to have four M1 Max dies. What I think is break these parts all down. This is a Mac Pro, so they've got to do it, you know, balls to the walls. They need to make a CPU, a GPU, and memory sticks. Probably proprietary for all of the above. But I think the only realistic way to make an Apple Silicon Mac Pro that is a real legitimate Mac Pro is by making it upgradable, which means they're going to have to engineer a way to have a separate CPU and GPU non-SOC-based system that allows you to upgrade it and to add more RAM. I think that's a requirement. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how exactly they do that, if they can come up with some interconnect you know, it's sort yeah. of like what they did for the, you know, the Ultra being two M1 Maxes connected together. Can they do that at the the chip level and, and separate mm-hmm. out the components and have them all connect to each other and still work in a good way? And I think, you know, if anyone can do it, it would be Apple. But I'm really interested to see if they manage to do something like that. I think it would be really, really cool. So I'm I'm very curious to see what happens. And someone here, so, oh yeah, so Carl here in the chat said, so an entirely new chip design? And I don't necessarily think it would have to be. Because what I'm saying is not necessarily that you completely re-architect everything from the ground up just for the Mac Pro. But what I'm saying is you take a look at the most fundamental building blocks the actual cores, the Firestorm and IceStorm CPU cores, and then I forget what they call their GPU cores, they have a little name for it. And then of course the neural engine cores and like all those different components. And 
essentially, instead of designing an entirely new architecture, you're repackaging those cores. So the, if you look at the breakdown of an M1 Ultra, you can see the banks of GPU cores. So why not manufacture a, a chip that's just the GPU cores plus whatever connectivity you need to build it into a modular system? Take the CPU cores, isolate that on its own chip that would probably also have you know, the neural engine and, and maybe even the SSD controllers, although realistically they should break those out as well. So like take, take those SOC components and break them out a little bit. I'm sure they'd have to do a ton of R&D and a lot of expensive work to make it as fast. But when you're talking about a Mac Pro, we already know it's going to be expensive. It just needs to be a Mac Pro. I don't care if it's going to cost thousands for GPU upgrades. A Mac Pro needs to be upgradable. And I think that's what they have to do to do that. Yeah, and it will raise a lot of questions. You know, will there be speed bottlenecks uh, if you mm -hmm. break out the components? Can you upgrade one component without upgrading another one? Can you add more CPU cores or update upgrade the CPU without touching the GPU or the RAM or whatever else? Lots of lots of questions uh, will come up from that, and we can't know the answers at this point. But I'm hoping uh, that we'll get some information, maybe both the design and the architecture at WWDC. No guarantees, obviously, but uh, but we can hope, and it's certainly possible. You know what else is certainly possible, Noah? What's that? Me transitioning into wrapping up this episode of Dark Mode Podcast. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you guys next week. I have been your host, Luke Miani. And I've been your host, Noah Rubin. Have a great night.